Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. We are living in perilous times, are we not? We're living in times where you never know what might happen. Uh, schools are arming themselves and churches are arming themselves. And we, we live in a news age, though. Um, because of the news, I think we sort of get the idea that things are actually worse than they really are. Um, we're actually living in a wonderful and amazing moment in history. What God has wrought in the world really is beyond most of what we could comprehend. Uh, one day when we see things as they are, I do believe that when the darkened glass has been broken and we stand in the glorious light of His truth, we will be speechless before him in amazement at what he has been doing. I don't, I don't think we understand what he's doing. and We can't see it. We will dance with joy at the wonder of his majesty as those that have gone before us are already doing. For the righteous judge of all the earth will make his decrees. Amen? Amen. Psalm 72 tells us about this. It says, Give thy king... Thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. And he shall judge the poor of the people and he shall save the children of the needy. And he shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mowed grass, as showers that water the earth. And in his days shall his righteousness flourish, and abundance of peace as long as the moon endures. He shall have dominion from sea to sea. Everybody say, he shall have dominion from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, it says. And they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him. His enemies shall lick the dust. And the kings of Tarshish and of the isles, they shall bring presents. And the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts to the Lord. Yea, all kings will fall down before the king of kings. All lords will bow down before the Lord of lords. For he shall deliver the needy when he cries. 
and the poor, and him that has no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given all the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. Isn't this an incredible song? Can you imagine what this is going to be like to live in a world where everybody worships God, where they bow down to him and give him their gifts? Amen. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon and the city shall flourish like grass of the earth and his name shall endure forever. His name shall be counted as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him and all nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. And David said, Amen, and Amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So let us pray. Lord, what a vision Psalm 72 is of the way things will be. Lord, I hope that vision fills our hearts today and that as we work and as we live and as we walk in this earth, we can be reminded that we're living in a wonderful time, but the time that will come will be so much more wonderful and that the way that we live now helps usher in a glorious age for those that will follow us. Lord, today we come before you as your sons and your servants and we come asking for forgiveness, knowing you will offer it to us. Lord, we come hungering and thirsting after righteousness, knowing that you will fill us, and we know that we will leave different than we came as we stand in your presence and as you bathe us in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the church said... My text for you today for my sermon, Jesus' Constant Conversation, uh, comes from the book of Luke. Um, you actually heard a parallel to it from Matthew 24 as Brother Andy read it for us today. Um, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Luke 17, 20 and 21 are my text, which says, And when he was demanded of, of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and he said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Let us pray. Lord, we love you so much and we desire to be your people. And we're listening today to hear from you. Speak to us. Change us by those words that are that we hear and help us to do the things that are commanded in your word. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus's, and you know I always have trouble with the plural of a, of, of a proper noun with a S on the end of it. Jesus's, I don't know if you put an S after it or apostrophe S or 
whatever. But Jesus is constant conversation. You've often heard me say that the kingdom of God, everybody say the kingdom of God. You've heard me say that it's Jesus' favorite subject. Uh, but apparently I've never written that down uh, because as I wrote it down, I just thought, you know, I don't really like, I, I just, I don't think I can bring myself to write down that the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite subject. It sounds like a very low way, almost common way of referring to our Lord. So, so I'm not going to say that. But this was Jesus' constant subject. He talked about the kingdom of God constantly from the beginning of his ministry to the end over and over and over and over. In fact, the life of Jesus could properly be summed up by saying that his food, his greatest desire, was to do the will of God, to speak his father's words. Remember what he would say? He said, the words that I speak, they are not my own, but him that sent me. The works that I do, they are not my own, but him that sent me. So, you know, we talk about Jesus a lot, but Jesus was always talking about who? Talking about the father. He was talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus, of course, we know was God in the flesh, but as a man, he was always pointing to God. Jesus' constant conversation was about the kingdom. This is not to be confused with heaven, although it certainly applies to it. Jesus was not just constantly pining or opining, however you want to say it, about heaven and wanting to be there and out of this really, really bad place. And there are times that I feel that way. Hey, I'd just like to be done with this bad world and I'd like to go somewhere else. Or he wasn't just giving us a picture of heaven one day when it's all over and we don't have to mess with all the things we mess with here. That's not the way Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about one day in the sweet by and by. That's not what he's talking about. What Jesus was talking about was the life, his life, was to be lived to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth, right? Isn't that what he prayed when he taught them to pray, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Everybody say on earth as it is in heaven. And then he ends the prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus mentioned the kingdom twice in this little brief prayer because it was what Jesus was here to do. He was here to inaugurate. He was going to be the king in the kingdom. God had made man in his image. God had given man the world and all of God's creation under earth on the earth was under his dominion and for his pleasure, okay? Man, as in Adam and Eve and all of their children, they were given charge, just like if you were given a responsibility over your children, like you were given a home and a property. It's yours. You're in charge of it. What happens with it is up to you. And man was given this for the whole world. But he was deceived by Satan and he lost it. Paradise was truly lost, but all was not lost because God promised one day to right things, to 
fix it. God made the world, and when he made it, he put man as the head of it. And so to fix that, what does he have to do, Luke? He's got to put man back on the throne of the earth. Not Satan, not an angel, right? But he's got to put man back on the throne, having dominion over all the earth. God returning things back to the way that he made it. It was good, and it would be good again. This is what the message of the kingdom of God is all about. It's not all about it's really bad in this world, and we need to kind of hold on tight, and one day we'll go to heaven where it's not so bad. That's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is God is going to make things right. That where they're not right now, where there is no justice, everybody say there will be justice. Where there is poverty and when people are hurting, God will end it. You know, I learned a statistic that really kind of blew my mind, Andy, recently. Do you know, you know how people are always, they're like, they feel bad. They're going to take all the money from the rich people and they're going to give it to the poor people and then that's going to fix everything, right? Did you know if you took all the money from all the rich people in America and Saudi Arabia and around the world, you could not make just the people in India not poor. There's not enough money. There's too many people, there's not enough money. You would think there was, but there's not. So if we just redistribute wealth all over the world, it isn't going to fix it. Man, on his own, is not going to be able to fix this problem, but God will fix this problem. He will. Where Adam failed, Jesus would succeed. Jesus was the man who would do the work. He would be the second Adam. Jesus would not fail his bride as... Adam had failed Eve. Jesus would protect her. He would keep her under his watch. And unlike Eve, she could, his bride cannot be lost. I like this. Adam had a bride that he lost. He deceived. She entered into sin. But Jesus has a bride who cannot be lost. I like that. Even if she were deceived by Satan, which how many of us have been deceived by the devil? I mean, we blame Eve, you know, she was deceived. Yeah, every one of us get that all the time. But you know what I'm thankful for today, Luke? That even though he deceives me, and even though I eat from the tree that I shouldn't eat from, and even though I sin, that Christ protects me so well, that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Amen? You know, when we hear the pronouncements that God has not dealt with us according to our sins, we should almost stand to our feet and go, Woo! Because the deal is, is that if you just remember the ones you did last year and you had to be held account for them, the dread of it would fill you beyond your com- comprehension. We, we, we forget our sins as uh, readily as the blood covers them. Jesus would not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He would walk and talk with God in the garden. His garden was not Eden, it was Gethsemane. God would turn his back on Jesus as he was burdened and died from the weight of Adam's sin and yours and mine. But we know what happened, right? Because he had not eaten of the tree. Because he was not deceived as Adam was. Jesus conquered it. Amen? The whole world we see would not be put out of the garden He would not father a race of murderers and liars and adulterers as Adam had done. 
He would father a race that would become a holy nation, a peculiar people zealous of good works, a people whose good works would shine like cities on the hill. You know, people think country life is the goal. Do you know the Bible actually literally glorifies the city? Isn't that kind of funny? We like country life so we can get away from everybody. We can sort of clean up our little area, you know, and we think, oh, you know. But did you know when God's kingdom come and his will be done, there will be like the whole earth will be kind of like this great city that will be like a garden city. I don't know, something like that. At least that's the way it sort of looks like to me. God's people would one by one in bodies marred by sin and weakness bear the light of God their king to all the world as God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church, trees of life whose leaves heal the nations begin to spring up by the great river of life, Jesus himself. Folks, do you know God is using you? This is so amazing to me. He's using us, His people, to dispel darkness, to heal diseases, to free slaves and impoverished, to bind up the brokenhearted around the world. This is amazing to me. It's not so amazing that Jesus walked on water, that He cast out demons, that He said the words that binded up the brokenhearted and set at liberty. That that doesn't surprise me. But what surprises me is that He could have used Luke Downey to do that. He's going to use Mark Robinette to do that and Josh Narwhal. That where there is darkness in the world, Josh, you get to walk with the light of the good works that God gives you to do and the darkness just flees in your presence. That's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing to me. Why? Because we who hold these torches and we who walk with these torches, we are sick with sin still yet. And even in the midst of our sin, God mocks the devil and crushes him beneath his feet by crushing him beneath your feet that's amazing to me this work that jesus started in the world and he continues through you and me day by day for it is true that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living god that one day the knowledge of the lord shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea we saw how god is doing this yesterday right as This post-Christian nation laid evangelist Billy Graham to rest, honoring him in the rotunda like I talked about earlier. Buried by his wife Ruth, who he was married to for 64 years. Hundreds of millions of people's believers and some not watched as God was praised and the life of this 99-year-old sinner was honored by kings and queens and presidents for his clean, faithful life to the Lord. I loved it each time I heard it. No one flinched or even cut the news feed as Billy Graham's oldest son Franklin said, Do you know Jesus is not one way to God? He's the only. And you know, uh, Michael, that verse on the back of your van is the verse that he had on his tombstone. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Can you believe our world leaders were sitting in a room where a guy didn't get up and go, he was a wonderful moral teacher who lived a nice life. He got up and he said, did you know that my father believed that I believe that the word of God is true, every bit of it? That Jesus is not one way to heaven, but he's the only way to heaven? 
And that no man will make it to heaven without going through Jesus Christ. And they sat there and they didn't get up and they didn't turn off the cameras. Benita, I was loving it. I'm like, yeah! I don't know how many people sat with their televisions across the world and as they heard the message of the gospel at this old saint's funeral. You know, when we were in Budapest, we sat across the table from this woman and what she said really surprised me. You know, my grandfather hated Billy Graham. He was a Church of Christ and and uh, my, my grandpa was. And my grandpa believed if you didn't go to a church that was named the Church of Christ, you weren't going to heaven. And if you weren't baptized in the Church of Christ, you couldn't go to heaven. And he said, you know that Billy Graham? He said, he doesn't tell anybody anything. He just gets up there, makes everybody feel bad and plays sad music, but doesn't give them any answers. I think it's funny. That person after person, I've met people, I've, I've watched it, where they said, you know, they went and they heard this man preach and it changed their lives. In fact, there's someone in our congregation whose father came to Christ through, listen to Billy Graham. Raise your hand, sister. Your dad. You told me you, that he went to a Billy Graham crusade and repeated the sinner's prayer, something like that, right? Isn't that funny? He at least touched your life, right? So I always, I grew up in my immaturity and my youth in my foolishness, railing against someone whose message wasn't necessarily as sharp as I liked it. And have you guys ever seen the Jesus movie? World's worst movie maybe ever made. People were raising money for it and they talk about it and they talk, the Jesus movie, the Jesus. So, so my wife and I, we went and we got and we watched it a few years back and I'm like, this is so horrible. That I hate it. I loathe it. This is just, I despise it. How ridiculous. I mean, couldn't the Christian people do better than this? So we're in Budapest and I'm sitting across the table and this young girl, she's there and, and she's giving us her testimony. She said, well, uh, I went to a class to learn English and as I was learning English, at the end, my, my, my English teacher said, in order to graduate, you have to watch a movie. I said, well, what movie did you watch? She goes, we watched this movie called The Jesus Movie. And I was like... And she goes, and when I got done watching that movie, I said, I, I want to follow Jesus. I will not complain about the Jesus movie again. I said it was the world's worst. Well, it might be. Maybe Billy Graham's the world's worst. I don't know. I guess I'm getting old, maybe liberal. You can say whatever you want. I'm so glad Christ is preached. I'm so glad people are talking about our Lord. I'm so glad people are not ashamed to stand up and say, He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. You see, we mock at it because we don't think it's a powerful enough message that He loves you. And folks, I'm telling you as I get older, I find out that this message is powerful enough. If you read John... You might go, what a, what a, the guy's all washed up. He's almost a Unitarian. And I'm not Unitarian and I'm not wishy-washy, but you'll read, oh, he just keeps telling people to love each other. Ha, ah, come on. A little more to it than that. Really? 
I have no idea what's in the hearts and the minds of these people that preach Christ or messages that are different than mine, but perhaps they saw an opportunity to lift up themselves or maybe these politicians who live dirty lives wanted to go stand next to a clean living man so they could look clean. I don't know. I don't care. Christ is preached. Jesus was lifted up. The message of the only true salvation there is under heaven was given, and I rejoice. For God's kingdom is coming, and God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is true more than it was yesterday. It's truer yesterday more than it was a hundred years ago, and a thousand years ago, and even two thousand years ago when this text was written that we read today. Jesus is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will someday confess that. Our nation heard, confessed over and over that Jesus is Lord. In Luke 17, the Pharisees ask a question Jesus was glad to hear. You know, have you ever been with somebody and they ask you a question and inside Derek you go, I'm glad you asked. There was this Christian comedian uh, who I, we used to listen to these records when I was a kid and uh, someone walked up and says, you know, have you ever heard about Jesus? You know, and the guy's like, oh yeah, you know. <laughs> like, you just asked my favorite question, you know. And so, the Pharisees asked Jesus this question. It provided another opportunity to talk about Jesus was always wanting to talk about, and that was the kingdom of God. It gave another reason for clarifying what it was, because so many people misunderstood it. We're going to look at it for just a few minutes today, and we're going to ask ourselves... This question. Are you guys ready to ask yourself a question today? Do we live like we believe the words that Jesus spoke here? Do we live like God's kingdom is coming? It's coming in us and through us? And if we don't, why don't we ask ourselves? Why don't we ask ourselves why? So let's go back to Luke 17. He was demanded of the Pharisees. I thought there might be more in the Greek, but basically it just means they really wanted to know. He was demanded of the Pharisees when, everybody say when, when, when the kingdom of God should come. And he answered them and he said this. He said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. So the question was when, okay? So whenever you're looking at a Bible passage and you're wanting to understand what Jesus is getting ready to talk about, you can find it somewhere, the definition. So they asked Jesus when it was coming. And so that's the question that Jesus is going to answer. The Jews were a conquered people. They were ruled by the Romans. Their glory days of King David and... Solomon were long gone, and the hope that one day they would return to this glory, and even more when Messiah was come, was a dream that still burned in the heart and the breast of many zealot. When was he coming? That was what they wanted to know. You know, today Christians, no matter what perspective we have about end times or end of the world, or what us theologians call eschatology, this is a big question being asked. How many people, when you talk to other Christians, they want to know, when? When? When's all this going to happen? When's this stuff going to happen? When's, when, when, when? How many, I hear this question all the time. You get to talk to them. It, it, these people are even marginal. 
in their belief. These people are heathens, but they all know that something, they, they think something's about to happen. The end of the world's going to come, right? People talk about it quite a bit. In an age where bombs are big enough to destroy whole cities and states and even nations, and in an age where most of the church have accepted a theology that says the world will get worse and worse until God can't bear it anymore, and then he will take out his people and destroy it. When you live in a world like that, and that's the perspective of the church, what are, what are people thinking about a lot? When? 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 Now, what's funny, when you get to be my age, you remember, I remember when I was 9 and 10 years old, and they were saying, any moment, any second, there was a man that got up, and it was cold in the winter, and he said, this year, my family and I will not put plastic on our windows to save for our heat bill for the year, because we're going to take that money, and we're going to put it towards mission work because God is coming back so soon and we know it's going to happen any second. And we made fun of him for years because he kind of had a speech impediment and it was very funny the way he said it. Okay, really, I, I was a kid. But we all believed that every single one of us, every one of us believed it was going to happen any second. But some of the people in the church, they didn't live like that, right? This guy that we made fun of as a kid, his name was Perry Macklin. Perry Macklin talked like this. And the kids would go, oh, the Lord is going to come this winter. Well, we would make fun of this kid. When we were a kid, we would. But, and we believed it, and they preached it, and everyone was scared about it. But the people in our church didn't live like that. They weren't living like, in five minutes, Jesus might come. They weren't. And if you believe like that, why, why do you live the way you live? You know, why do you buy extra light bulbs? Why do you shop at Costco and Sam's Club if Jesus is coming back in five minutes? Why do you need food in your freezer for the next year. Come on. That's how you believe. They believe the Bible teaches that it will happen soon, practically at any moment of the day. They believe the Bible teaches this thing called the rapture. They call it this. It's a term not found in the Bible. They believe it is about to happen unexpectedly at any moment. And we should always be ready. Now, that's not such a bad thing right there. Right? In fact, I think that may account for a lot of good behavior that we get, like at any moment. I remember when I was a kid thinking if I sinned and I didn't hurry up and repent, that I was going to miss it. Okay, we were hyper-Arminian in our theology. That's not so bad. Your kids, if we could get our kids to live like Jesus is coming back in five minutes right from now and they would straighten up, that would be fabulous. So this doctrine has... Good and bad sort of associated with it. People terrified they're going to lose out, not make it to heaven. But then this other that gives you no reason whatsoever to plan for the future or think about what God's going to do or build anything at all. I think that how people plan to build their churches and their families and their cities even is affected by this doctrine, which I don't believe the Bible teaches. So what does it teach? In fact, I think believing these things may be a big reason that the church has such a difficult time in our generation because they don't see hope in the next generation. So when is a really good question. And being able to talk about this with your brothers and sisters and, and you know, we're all so prideful and so stupid because, you know, we learn something about this and then we're like, well, we don't believe it. 
You know, you, you're never going to help anybody with that attitude. Oh, you guys, oh, you still believe that, do you? Right. You, you might be, you may go to this church and even believe in this doctrine. And some other people in the church think, might think you're stupid. Okay, because we found out that there's something better, right? Human nature is you learn something and five minutes later you think everyone's stupid who doesn't know it. Oh, you didn't know that? I learned about Gandhi yesterday, things I never knew. You know what? Every person I meet in the future that talks about inappropriate, I'm looking at them up with my, really? You're such an idiot. Do you know anything about this man? And I'll tell him everything, because I, I now know everything there is to know about Mahatma Gandhi. Right? Oh, trust me. Say something ignorant about him today, and I'm, I'll be ready to blast you. I'll stand from my pulpit of great you know, wisdom, and I'll just you know, make you feel stupid. That's what we do. We learn something and we use it like that instead of going, instead of walking around and going, hey, you know what? I've been wrong about this. I don't know. I'm learning this from scripture. Maybe there's a different perspective. Check this out. What do you think? That's how we should approach it. But instead we're like, please. You know, I used to think that when I was three, but now I'm big. So next week we're going to get into the particulars of this doctrine and we're going to get into scripture because it's not just a perspective. It's this is, what do we talk about from the pulpit is what does God's word say, right? So we're going to get into it. We're going to get a little bit deeper, okay? But for now, I want to explain to you what the kingdom of God is and what it isn't. When the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's about what God is going to do on the earth through you and through me. And to me, the Bible is clear what he's going to do. We read about it in Isaiah. We read about it in the Psalms. You can read about it all through the Old Testament. And it was why the Jews had a hard time with the way Jesus was going about it. Because in their mind, it was coming through force. And it was coming through power. And it was going to come immediately. And it was going to come in a place and a time. And so they weren't ready. In fact, that's what Jesus says. They're not going to see it. They're, they're not going to be ready. They're not going to expect what is about to happen. They're going to miss it. So we're going to get more of that. Will it be fun? You guys want to talk about it more? I don't know. How, we may go a couple weeks. Maybe I can nail it down in, in a service. But today I wanted to nail for you what it is. And we're going to begin to answer this question as we see right here in the text in Luke. This parallel passage is much more expansive in Luke 24. Maybe we'll cover that next week because there's tons of stuff in there to look at and that make us think. Okay? So let's hear about what Jesus said about when, everybody say when, the kingdom of God would come. So let's read verse 20 again. And when Jesus was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Okay? So the first thing Jesus told them was the kingdom of God would not be something they would see happen all at once. I looked it up. I looked in the Greek. Basically, it means that you won't see it. Now, to say that you won't see something doesn't mean that it's you know, unseeable. Does that make any sense to you? I know that sounds funny. We think we'll see it like we see a train arriving in the station, but it's not going to be like that, okay? It's not going to be in a certain place or a certain time. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's kind of like your children when they ask you, when am I going to be grown up? There are lots of ways to answer that question, but we might tell them that it won't happen in one big event. 
It won't happen on a certain day in a certain place. It won't happen all of a sudden. Growing up is a gradual thing with lots of nuance. There are many parts to that that will come together over time and you most likely won't even realize it when it happens. Does that make sense to you? Growing up is not something you can see like a sunrise or the birth of a calf. It's a process that happens inside of you. It shows up on the outside too, but you can't see what's happening on the inside. Growing up does not come like a train, as I said, in the station. It's more like the ripening of a fruit. You know, sometimes you can't even tell if a fruit is good and ripe until you taste it, right? Some of you uh, who are a little more culinary culinary in your way you know you know you can grab and you can sort of feel it you know or you can knock on that watermelon or whatever you can sort of feel that outside of that cantaloupe and you can know oh yeah it's just right now in these next few verses jesus makes this more clear verse 21 neither shall they say low here or low there for behold okay and i i love i love the words the holy spirit picks here don't look here and see it don't look here and see it, but then Jesus says, behold, you know, <laughs> don't look here, don't look here, but now, now look at this, you know, it's not going to be here, it's not going to be here, but behold, if you want to know where it is, if you really want to look at it, the kingdom of God is where it is with, it's within you. So see what he said, the kingdom of God is not going to be in this place or that, it's not at the church building, it's not at the Vatican. It's not in Rome or in Jerusalem or the United States. It's something like a seed born deep in the heart of the church and its people. And it will grow in them and through them over time until it is mature. And after clarifying what the kingdom was, because he didn't start to answer the question by telling them when, he first wanted to clarify what it was. And sometimes when you're having a conversation with some, someone, it's important to clarify what you're talking about. What do you mean? When you say the kingdom of God, what do you mean? And Jesus says, here's what it is, okay? So now let's talk about when it is. So in verse 22, he said to his disciples, now this is another thing. When you're studying the Bible, we need to know who Jesus is talking to, right? So he's talking to these people. His disciples, his followers, the, these were real people. Once again, when you listen to the stories of Jesus, we need to imagine them as though they really happened to real people because why? Because they did. So Jesus is here. The Pharisees are asking him, when is the kingdom of God coming? And instead of turning to the Pharisees, he turns to who? The disciples. And he begins to talk to them. I think this is very, very interesting. You see, the kingdom of God wasn't going to come in a happy way for the Pharisees. What was about to happen to them, you read more about that in Matthew chapter 24. What's going to happen to them is not going to be pleasant whatsoever. But that's kind of what they were looking for. When's this great thing going to happen for us? Well, the great thing wasn't going to happen for them. He said to his disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man... And you shall not see it. Now the disciples were real people who were living right then. Now when I, when I first started studying this subject and someone would say something like that, I would just kind of go, well, yeah. But no, you have to stop for a minute. 
On this, in this doctrine, as we will deal with this doctrine in the coming weeks, you'll find that people, the last thing that you can do if you want to uh, come up with the doctrine of pre-tribulation rapture theology, the last thing you can do is read the scripture and read it literally. Because if you read it literally, you'll never come up with pre-tribulation rapture theology because Jesus was speaking to the people standing right there. And what people do is they read the scripture and they go, oh, well, what, what this is, is this is a passage talking to people who live in 2018 about what's getting ready to happen to us. And they tell you that's what it says, but who, did, who was Jesus talking to? Everybody say he was talking to the disciples. Real people living right then. They were men. They were in their 30s. And you go, well, why are you saying? Because that's who he was talking to. And they would probably all die within the next 40 years. John might live 60 more years as the longest living of all the disciples. He lived into his 90s. Verse 23, and they shall say to you, see here or see there, go not after them nor follow them. He's telling the disciples, don't go. Anybody says this is going on here and there, don't go. Because there isn't going to be anything happening. It's kind of like some of these revivals. Have you guys heard of some of these revivals? Uh, certain cities, they claim God's there. You go there, and if you go there, there you know, there's like a little window in heaven, and, and it's pouring out, and people are laughing and rolling around on the floor. And, and, and all. Have you guys... It, this may be very out of vogue. Maybe you don't know about it, but there are places, Okay. And God's there. He's in, he's in, is it Brownsville, Florida, right? Pensacola, different places, he's there. You know, you go there and there, God's there and it's, you know, and people are laying on the floor and, and you know, things are happening. He warned the men who followed him not to go to this place or that place at the behest of other men who said, oh, this is where it's happening, it's happening right here. The coming of the kingdom would come from inside of them. What could that possibly mean? And then he says something else in verse 24. And you can take this very figuratively. And I mean, it is certainly a word picture that's being given here. But what, what is it? Verse 24. As the lightning that lighteth out of one part under heaven shines under the other part of heaven, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be in his day. Now, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. So who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. So it's kind of funny that Jesus is talking about himself, Jason, like in the third person, right? Now, if, if you are going to just be literal, Heath, and you're going to think this through, what is lightning like? Right? So I mean, if you're not looking, you're going to miss it, right? And it goes, you'll hear it. You may see the flash of it. And if lightning goes, you ever seen it go across the sky? Boom, it's there, and then boom, it goes there. Now, who can tell me where there is, there, wherever it came from, and where there, wherever it went? Anybody ever, ever try to track that down? How easy is that? It's, it's impossible, all right? The coming of Messiah would be quick, like a flash from here to there. You can't mark lightning. You see it, it's bright, it streaks across the sky with a boom, but it's there and it's gone, and most did not see it come and go. You know, this is what the life of Christ was like. When you take a man who only lived 30 years and only three and a half of that he did his ministry and you put that against the backdrop of 6,000 years of earth's history 
Jesus is here and he's gone. And most of the people in the world didn't even know he was there. They don't know where he came from. They don't know where he went. He flashed like lightning. It was bright. It was amazing. It was incredible. He lived. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He walked on the water. He fed the 5,000. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again. Bam, he's gone in three years. Three and a half years. He's gone. People in Africa didn't get a visit from Jesus. People in North America didn't get a visit from Jesus. People in China did not get a visit from Jesus. He came in the Middle East in an out-of-the-way uh, conquered Roman province on the edge of the Mediterranean. He was there and he was gone. They didn't get to see him in France and, and they didn't get to see him in Great Britain. They didn't get to see him in Nova Scotia. The Vikings did not visit with Christ. His coming was a thunderclap in time, a moment among thousands of years. But then he began to define, he began to sort of drill down and narrow down what was going on. Verse 25, but first, everybody say first. So when you're dealing with time and you say first, what does first mean? First means first. Ask somebody, well tell me how it all happened. They go, alright, well first, alright, so verse 25, first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Everybody say, this generation. We hear about this generation in Matthew 24 where Andy read it when Jesus reminded them that this generation will not pass until everything that I just said is going to come to pass. This is why when you read these passages, you have a very difficult time taking the passages that you're reading and applying them to where we're living right now because Jesus was talking to real people who really lived in certain places. And he told them about things that were going to happen in those places. And none of us live in any of those places. Right? We'll get into that next week. Alright? But before the kingdom of God begins here on earth with him, Jesus must suffer many things and be rejected. Now we know this had already begun to happen to him. He was suffering through accusation, interrogation, and rejection, and lies day in and day out as he healed countless and casted out demons. We know that what Jesus was talking about there had already begun to happen. And then he says in verse 26, what we also heard in Matthew 28, which we will get into more detail later, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. What does he mean by that? Does that mean it will not rain and then it will rain? Or what, what does he mean by that? And he explains what he means by this, okay, in great detail. During the time of Messiah, the Son of Man, it shall be like it was in Noah's time. So what happened in Noah's time? They were told judgment was coming, right? But they didn't listen, right? They were warned. And no one listened. They continued their lives like nothing great had happened and nothing terrible was about to happen. This is what was going on in Jesus' time. The Messiah came. He wrought His miracles. He flashed like lightning. A lot of people missed it. He put forth a warning just like Noah. Noah was limited to where he went. He told the people around. He did not walk to Africa and tell them to get on the ark. He did not walk to North America and tell them to get on the ark, right? He told the people that were there and that were around and that could hear him what was about to happen and they didn't listen to him. They didn't even know he was there. They were unaware and they lived their lives like nothing was happening. 
They continued their lives like nothing great had happened. It would be no different when Messiah would come. They would not take notice. They would not take heed. The warning that they would be taken unaware once they realized what was happening. Verse 27, they ate and they drank and they married wives and they divorced wives. And what was going, what's being explained here isn't that it's going to be bad. Is it bad to eat? Everybody say it's not bad to eat. And they drank. Does that mean it's bad to drink? No, not bad. They got married. Is marriage bad? No. What is he saying? He's saying they did what everybody does. What do we do every day? Come on. In a, at a house filled with a lot of children, I can tell you, there's a whole lot of eating that goes on. What did they do? They ate and they drank. What do we do at the Robinette household? Well, as soon as we get cleaned up for the first, next meal, we're like, well, so what's the next one? Do we got the kitchen cleaned up? Oh, do we got something in the crock pot? What do we have for dinner? I mean, literally, Valiant will finish a chip from lunch. In two seconds there, he's like, so what are we eating for dinner today? I've even had Val finish eating a chip and go, so what are we having for lunch, Dad? I'm like, son, you just ate. And he'll go, oh, I forgot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married. They did all these things until the day Noah to enter the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He's reminding them that they're going to live as though nothing great happened and they're going to miss what God is doing and they're going to be caught off guard at what He does. That's what it means. There's no deeper meaning here. They're just not going to be ready, Steve. They're just, they're, they're, you know... I mean, there are great events that happen around the world. We don't even know. You don't turn on the news, right? Oh, I didn't know a tsunami was coming. Well, you know, maybe you should have had a cell phone. I, you know, I don't know. A hundred, a hundred foot wall of water for the last two hours has been told to be coming on the beach and you're just there and you're, you know, laying out in the sun. I didn't know. Jesus then adds, likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. They didn't know. They lived like nothing had happened. Are we living that way? Did God save us and we live as though God's kingdom is not coming? That His will is not going to be done? Is that how we live now? Now, that's how they lived then when He came and when He warned them of impending doom and destruction. They went on, and could you imagine the guy who was in Jerusalem building and building and building, and he finished his building, and then the Romans burned all of Jerusalem to the ground? Like, that would be kind of discouraging, wouldn't it? The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed all of them. Even thus it shall be when the Son of Man is revealed. So when, everybody say, when the Son of Man is revealed. All right. So he's giving some parameters to what he's talking about here. All right. First, what is the kingdom? When is it going to come? And there's going to be nuances to when it comes. It's not going to come in a single thing. It's going to be something that is growing just like a seed that grows. It's going to happen over time. They're not going to see it. But there's going to be parts of this. Like when you put a seed in the ground, there are times when you put the seed in the ground and there's a, there's a point a few days later where it germinates and the seed pops. There are times when it then later, it's, it's growing, but you don't know it and it's under the ground and then it comes up out of the ground. And then after a while, it's coming up out of the ground. There's a day when it buds and the fruit begins to grow, right? 
And so he's giving them a moment in the growth of the kingdom when the Son of Man shall be revealed. Can you imagine, and, and you know, we'll get into this more later, being ignorant of history will cause you to be ignorant of the Bible. And so having no idea what went on in history at the time of Christ and in this city and with these people can leave you to just think that it's all going to happen one day because you didn't know that it did happen already. So Jesus was preparing them for a cataclysmic, world-changing, devastating thing like Noah's flood, like Sodom and Gomorrah, rain coming down, and about great destruction happening. And he's telling them they're going to miss it if they're not careful. In that day, he which is on the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take his stuff out. He that's in the field, let him not, don't turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. In this case, he's talking very practical. If you, if, you found, if you saw that a forest fire was raging, and if you've ever seen them, they move really, really fast. And by the time you see it, you don't go in the house and collect your belongings. It's time to run like a madman. It's time to get in your car and drive as fast as you can in the opposite direction. It's not time to put together a night bag. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. It's going to happen. Something is going to happen. Devastating. It's going to happen. Suddenly, it's going to be cataclysmic, and you won't have time to prepare for this event. People project on here the idea of the rapture because there's two together, and then that, and now there's only one. That's not what is being talked about here. You're out in the field and you're working and one's on this side of the field and one's on that side of the field. and think, It's not time to worry about the other guy on the other side of the field. It's time to run for your life about what's about to happen. I tell you the truth, in that night, two shall be one in bed, one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two men shall be grinding together, one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. And they answered the son unto him, where? So now they've moved from when onto where. They say where? These are good questions. You know, when I was a journalist, they're like, how do you, how are you, how do you, how, how do you become a reporter? They're like, you got to ask questions. Who? What? When? Where? Right? And so now they've moved on from when to where, because I think they're starting to understand because they want to know where is this going to happen. So there's a lot to cover, right? The question to ask ourselves is when, right? But the question to ask ourselves is do we even, do we even know what the kingdom of God is? Are we prepared? Are we a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God? Or are we living like nothing ever happened? That's a good question. And today as you gather with your family, say, hey, you know what? I don't know. Are we living like the God's kingdom's coming, his will being done? Are we prepared? Are we ready for what God is doing in the world? The truth is, is they weren't ready in Noah's day, they weren't ready in Lot's day, and they weren't ready in the day of the coming of the Son of Man, because He came. Everybody say, the Son of Man came. And what did they do? Did they receive Him, or did they reject Him? And what happened to the world that rejected Christ? God leveled it. We know for a fact that in history, 
that Jerusalem was burned, that the temple was leveled, and that what happened on that day, the likes of the cataclysmic events that happened on that day in Jerusalem have never been repeated in the world, and they never will be. Millions of people died in a single day in a horrible, cataclysmic, world-altering event as the end of the Jewish age came and the beginning of the church age began. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. Let's ask God today, though, are we kingdom-minded? Are we living as though we are part of the kingdom? Are we living our lives? Are we dedicating our homes? Are we dedicating our families? Are we dedicating our future to the belief that we are citizens in this great kingdom? That we're not Americans? That we're not Irishmen or Scotsmen or even Presbyterians? That we are fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God? That we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the head of the corner, that Jesus is King and Lord of our life in every area? Is that what the way we live? That's a great question to ask ourselves today. Let us pray. Lord, help us answer that question as we gather with our families, as we eat together. Lord, may we be centered on the work that you came to do as we realize that's what we're here. We're continuing your work. When I used to read those words that you said while you were here that greater things we would do than what you did, I, I couldn't imagine how that could possibly be. And Lord, I understand that you began something and that you have and that you will finish it, but the way that you'll finish it is with us. Millions of us, hundreds of millions of us. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth through us as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.